Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 today on cornerstone connection with pastor gary hamrick there are different times in the scriptures and the epistles where paul says follow my example as i follow christ And we're going to see here that he saying to them, my life is an open book, go ahead and examine it. And when I read his parting words here to these elders from Ephesus, it's challenging to me because, um, you know, how many of us would just be able to say with such a clear conscience, just examine every part of my life, I'm an open book. He says to them, you know how I lived among you. I was with you for two years. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Acts. Paul encouraged others to follow his example in Christ. This phenomenal man had nothing to hide. There were no skeletons in his closet, and his devotion to Jesus could and should be emulated. In today's message, Pastor Gary challenges you to examine yourself, to see if others can see the effects of Jesus in your daily life. If there are any areas that could bring scrutiny to the name of Christ because of sin or bad behavior, you should confess it and repent. All Christians carry the name of Jesus, and so you should want to make him proud and represent him well. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 20. Verse 4, it says that he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we, circle the word we, because now it tells us that Luke, who is the author of Acts, has now joined him because he's writing in the... Uh, in the pronoun we, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. So they go back across the Aegean Sea. They're now in, in Troas, which is Asia Minor, which today the map we're talking about Turkey. So this is, this is where now the following event is going to take place. And this is somewhat... Um, um, I don't know, cute, I guess, is the word I'll, I'll use here. But because um, it, it starts out tragic, but it ends up very nicely. So, um, but this is why I say it's cute. Look at verse 7. 
On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Please note, by the way, first day of the week is, it's not Monday. Monday is the work week, right? First day of the week is Sunday. Sunday is the day that Christ rose from the dead. Please note that there's a pattern throughout Acts where they continue to meet on Sunday. Even though the Sabbath has not changed, that the Sabbath technically is still sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. I would just respectfully disagree with my Seventh-day Adventist friends who say that the Lord's Day is still on Saturday to worship because you see the pattern throughout the book of Acts, and here's one of them, where Sunday becomes the regular day of worship and celebration in ongoing commemoration of the resurrection of Christ. And so that's what they're doing. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight, friends. That's why I think this is, uh, this is a cute passage, because I feel inspired by Paul tonight. <laughs> now, now how, how do you feel about that, right? I mean, you know, I can joke about it, but can you imagine? It's, it's quarter of eight right now. You'd be like, we're going to be here till midnight, please. But they're, they're just absorbing this. They are profoundly mature Christians right here, friends. <laughs> Like, we're going to have a Bible study till midnight. Bring it on, Paul. And so, verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Okay, got to get the picture here. It's not, it's not to create the ambiance, all right? This is first century. They don't have any light. So, they got lamps, a lot of lamps going. But you have a lot of lamps going. You got a lot of heat generated, okay? So, a lot of lamps burning here. Verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. (laughs) Isn't this a cute story? This is a cute story here. Now, notice it says he fell into a deep sleep. The Greek word there for sleep is hypnos. It's where we get our English word hypnotic. He gets into this hypnotic state. Paul is just going on and on and on. And Eutychus, it says he's a young guy. So I'm picturing, you know, like he's 18 maybe. He's he's in the windowsill. And all the lamps are going. He's like, man, this is just kind of, when will Paul stop? You know, and he's just starting to, he's starting to nod off a little bit. I mean, it's, it's midnight, okay? Cut the guy some break. I mean, I, I've been preaching to you guys for many years now. I, I can tell you, at 9 o'clock service, I see people dozing off. You know, the beauty is, if you doze off and happen to fall out of your chair, you're only going to fall about three feet. Look at what happens to this kid. So, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story. He falls straight out of the window And he dies. Now, this is the part where we shouldn't be laughing anymore, but there's a good outcome here. He falls out of the the third-story window because Paul's just droning on and on. You know, the Eutychus is sitting there going, okay, already, baptism, we get it. Can we move on? Well, he moves on. He moves on out the window, (laughs) three stories down, and he gets picked up dead. Verse 10, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, And put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Now, the guy has died because it tells us in the previous sentence that they picked him up dead. So this is not, oh, we got the wind knocked out of him. Okay, He fell three stories, friends. All right? He didn't get the wind knocked out of him. He he died here. This is a miracle. So don't overlook the miracle thinking... Oh, you know, Paul just gave him a little CPR, a little mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Everything worked out. You just had the wind knocked out of him. No, the guy died. But what Paul is doing here is very similar to what we read in the Old Testament concerning Elijah the prophet and Elisha the prophet. 
They both had similar miraculous events. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah uh, put his body over top of the widow's son who had died and prayed for this boy to come back to life. And that's exactly what happened. And God brought about a great miracle. Similar thing happened in 2 Kings chapter 4 with Elijah's understudy, Elisha, with the Shunammite's son. Same thing, stretched out over top, body to body, and there was this honoring of God to pass the virtue of one life to another to raise these young men from the dead. Happens in 1 Kings 17, happens in 2 Kings 4, happens right here in Acts chapter 20. So this is a miracle, and don't, don't overlook it thinking, you know, well, this is just a, a guy who got the wind knocked out of him. No, he, he, he puts his arms around him, threw himself on the young man. I'm sure he probably, you know, it doesn't say this, but if, if we know 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings chapter 4, and you know that Paul was schooled in the scriptures, you, you know that he's thinking, okay, this is what Elijah did, this is what Elijah did. I'm going to follow the model of how God honored miracles in, in the Old Testament. And so that's what he does, and God, God brought this, uh, this young man back to life. Verse 11 this, this is cute, too, because it says, Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. We're hungry. You know, It's been a good church service. Where it's still midnight. We just raised somebody from the dead. How about let's order a pizza? So, so they, they have a good meal. And after talking until daylight, friends, he went back on to preaching. After talking until daylight, then he left. And I wonder if the people were sad. I'm sure they were sad. Shoo, till, till daylight. And the people took the young man home alive. Another indication that he was, in fact, dead. Took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Well, again, you know, the reason why this was an all-night uh, meeting, an all-night uh, prayer and Bible study service, was because he's, he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, and he wants to say goodbye, and uh, this is going to be a tearful departure here. And so it says here in verse 13 that when we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard, he had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. And the next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios, and the day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Okay, that's the key place. So let's go back on our map now. This is Miletus. It's about 50 miles south of Ephesus. So all those other uh, little uh, cities we just read are scattered throughout various islands there in the Aegean Sea. He's, he's backpedaling, even though the arrows of this, of this journey on the map here show going in one direction. He basically backpedals until he gets to Miletus and then he's going to take a ship uh, on towards Jerusalem. But here in Miletus, this uh, next uh, story takes place. And it tells us in verse 16 that Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, uh, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, as, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So he's on, you know, this, he's on a divine timetable, but uh, he has this, the Jewish calendar in mind. He wants to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. It was required that all Jewish men, 21 years and older, would go to Jerusalem for three major feasts of the year, Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot. And so this is one of them. He wants to get back to Jerusalem. 
So, you know, he's already spent two years in Ephesus. He doesn't see a need to go back there. He bypasses Ephesus. And Miletus is another little seaport city right at the base of the Aegean Sea. And it is here, look at verse 17, from Miletus that Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he, he doesn't want to go to Ephesus. He goes to Miletus, but then he asks the elders from Ephesus, could you meet me here in Miletus? So they're going to make a 50-mile journey, give or take, uh, down to Miletus. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Now listen to what he's saying here, because this is a great... There are different times in the scriptures and the epistles where Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And we're going to see here that he saying to them, my life is an open book, go ahead and examine it. And when I read his parting words here to these elders from Ephesus, it's challenging to me because, um, you know, how many of us would just be able to say with such a clear conscience, just examine every part of my life, I'm an open book. He says to them, you know how I lived among you. I was with you for two years. You know, you, you saw everything about me. There was nothing to hide you, you were able to witness and see everything about me. Nothing to hide. You know, there's no secret life here with Paul. It's like my public life is my private life. My private life is my public life. Follow my example as I follow Christ. It's a very challenging thing. And he's such a godly man that he's able to say to them, he says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came into the province of Asia. He says in verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Okay, you know, he says there were times I even, you know, was brought to tears. I was severely tested. He says in verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He's like, guys, look, I just want to give you some parting words of counsel here. And what we see between verses um, 18 to 27, what we're reading here, is basically Paul's summary of his ministry. And then we get to verse 28 to 35, we're going to see his exhortation of their ministry. Because he's called these elders from the church at Ephesus and he starts out here first just you know declaring his own life he's like I, let me just summarize my ministry with you I lived here the whole time you saw me for two years you observed me I served the Lord with humility um, I was severely tested there were times I was brought to tears it wasn't always easy there was a lot of blood sweat and tears in my ministry with you I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, both to the Jews and to Greeks, to the Gentiles, because I wanted to declare to you the word of God, because I know that in God's word, there is liberty and life. And so he he says all this to them. And in verse 22, he says, and now compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. This is an incredible statement here. He's saying, listen, I feel compelled by the Spirit to to go 
But I've also been warned by the Spirit there's going to be hardships. Paul is particularly an awesome example of a life that is surrendered and is not too concerned about self, but more concerned always about the Lord. And so he's like, i got to go to Jerusalem. I don't even know if I'm going to be killed there. I don't know. But it's not about me. It's about the Lord. And I'm going to be faithful to go where he tells me to go and to do what he tells me to do. And it won't always be easy. But look at verse 24. However, I have this underlined in my Bible. I encourage you to underline this in yours. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Isn't that a great statement? I consider my life worth nothing to me. It's all about the Lord. And it's all about the gospel of grace. I just want to finish the race and complete the task. It only matters how well you finish. And if you came to know Christ after you're 40 or 50 or 60, 70, you realize It's all about finishing. It doesn't really matter. Some of us started early. Some of us got saved at an early age. You were a child. You were a youth. That's wonderful. Some of you didn't get saved until much later in life. It doesn't really matter how early or how well you start. What matters is that you finish. Paul himself didn't get a great start. Remember, he was standing there condoning the, the death of Stephen as they were stoning Stephen to death. And he was holding their cloaks of those who were throwing stones. Because, you know, if you wear a coat, it's a little more difficult to be throwing stones. So they were taking off their coats. And there was young Saul standing there giving approval under the death of Stephen. He didn't, he didn't start very well. He was educated in the ways of Gamaliel. He was a very zealous Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, great pedigree. But he didn't start very well. He was a part of murdering Christians. But he says, I, now that I know Christ, consider my life worth nothing except that I might finish the race and complete the task of testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ to God's grace. And he says, I just want to finish well. Friends, finish well. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Your life as a Christian is a marathon. It is, a, it is a race of perseverance. It is not just getting a great jump off the start, 50-yard dash, we're done. Christianity is a marathon. You have to pace yourself. You have to pace yourself. And you can't get discouraged. Even though you start to feel the pain in the side as you're running and you want to give up, you, you, can't, you can't be discouraged midway through. You've got to press through it, persevere, finish the race. Paul, among all people, can say, you know, he, he no doubt probably at different times felt like giving up. But he persevered and he finished the race. Be a good finisher. Be a good finisher. Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He says in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, 
For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. If you have a King James Bible, it says the whole counsel of God. In other words, God's word. Listen to what he says. I have a clear conscience. I am innocent of the blood of all men. Because I have not shunned from declaring unto you, King James says, the whole counsel of God. That is a, let me tell you, as a pastor... That, those are sweet words to my ears. And the reason is because, and this is why it's important that as a pastor, I teach through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Because I want you to have the whole counsel of God. And because, perhaps selfishly, I want to be able to stand before God and, said, and say, I gave him the whole counsel of God. I did my best to discharge the teaching of the full counsel of God's word. And so Paul says here, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I've done my part. To teach all of the Bible. So this is a great verse to remind me. And this is the reason why if you go into Calvary Chapel churches today, which we are one. We are part of the Calvary Chapel uh, affiliation of churches, which you know Chuck Smith started back in the 60s out of Costa, Costa Mesa, California. It is one thing that is common to all Calvary Chapel churches. And this verse has spoke to Chuck many, many years ago. And it's the reason why we as Calvaries take to heart the importance and the responsibility and the privilege of teaching through the whole Bible. Not just the hunt and peck method, a little bit here, a little bit there. We'll skip the tough parts. We won't deal with some of the controversial issues. We go from cover to cover so that all of God's word can speak to all of God's people. And then you can, by, by your own exercise of your own free will, respond to the counsel of God's word. But Paul says, and, and I love this verse personally because as far as it depends on us and our ministry, he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have been faithful to discharge the whole counsel of God. So, switching now here, verse 28, he's going to talk now about the exhortation. This is the part where he exhorts them as, as elders in the church at Ephesus. He says, all right, now here's your responsibility, and he's going to tell them three main directives. And I'll break it down for you in a minute, but let me just read through the passage. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So there's three directives in here. Notice verse 28, keep watch. The middle of verse 28, be shepherds. And then verse 31, be on your guard. So these three things here, keep watch, be shepherds, and be on your guard. Let me break each one of these three down. So to keep watch is the Greek word proseko. It means to give attention to. And he tells them here to keep watch over, notice, yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseers is the Greek word episkopos. Uh, we get our English word episcopalian. It's, it speaks about um, the leadership and oversight, overseers of a flock. Pastors are considered elders, episkopos, overseers. But please note, you have to give attention, he says, to yourselves and to the flock. 
If pastors and leaders don't give attention to their own spiritual lives, they will be of no use in trying to give attention to the spiritual lives of the flock. And I can tell you, as a pastor, sometimes people think, how awesome, how awesome, dude. You get to be paid to be in the Word of God all day long. There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the, the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there. And feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series, In Acts. You can find this digital booklet in companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know.